I think I might have shown you guys this before, but my, my family, we're a family of five, but we're really a family of six because we have uh, Lincoln, a, a massive golden retriever. And uh, he, he's three years old, uh, but he's, as you can tell with your Oz, he's a big baby. I mean, he's just uh, the cutest dog ever. And he, he has an addiction. I know it's weird for, for dogs to have an addiction, isn't it? He has an addiction and it's, it's our love. It's, it's, it's people. He, he wants us to notice him and pet him. And he can be the, the happiest dog ever when we're doing that, but he can also be like the saddest dog. And so oftentimes, especially right now, because it's so hot in Phoenix, he, he's just laying on the, the cold floor just trying to get some relief. And I'm like, preach, Lincoln, like I can feel you, your pain on that. But he's just, and he just looks sad, right? And we'll, we'll see him like, Lincoln, you look so sad. Oh, he looks so depressed. And then before we know it, my youngest daughter will get on him like that. <laughs> or they'll pet him or they'll say, Lincoln Bobinkin, Lincoln Bobinkin, you're so handsome. You're a good puppy dog. You're a good puppy dog. And before you know it, like in a moment, he turns, right? He shifts. He goes from sad to the happiest thing in all the universe, right? I mean, it doesn't take him long. And here's the reality. Uh, we can turn and we can have shifts like that. Some of you have gone from sad to happy in life. Maybe even this morning, uh, sometimes that happens, something hits. But typically, it takes us longer to shift in life, to turn from a, a mood we had previously to one that we have now, to, to bad experiences, to good experiences. We evolve typically over time, unlike my dog, Lincoln. And I'll tell you that story because I, I think what we're going to see today is really a, a, a supernatural turn in the story of Habakkuk, in the life of Habakkuk. Uh, we're going to see somebody who goes from asking God, how long, how, how long, how long, to I rejoice, I rejoice. And we're going to see that, that shift. And we're going to see kind of how he gets to that shift. If you are new with us, we're in this Old Testament book of Habakkuk. And, and he's a prophet. But what we've said is he's unlike any other prophet. That typically prophets will, will speak on behalf of God to people. Habakkuk is different. He's speaking on behalf of the people unto God. So we get this whole dialogue with him and God. And the reason why we say God, ask God anything, because Habakkuk's asking a lot of questions to God. And God's giving responses back to him. You see, Habakkuk is confused and frustrated. Anybody ever been there? He's confused because he knows the character of God, but what he's seeing in his life and in his experience doesn't match up with God's character. So he has some questions. We believe Habakkuk wrote this probably in 600 BC, that, that it's in the nation of Judah, that King Josiah, who was a godly king, who brought a lot of revival and repentance in the land of Judah, he's died. His son takes over and they go back to all the injustice and all the idolatry. And in chapter one, we read that the people of Judah are perverting the law of God, that they are mistreating one another and they are misrepresenting their God. And so Habakkuk is, is frustrated. He's, he's crying out for justice. He's confused. He's questioning. But then we see at the end of the book, a massive shift, a massive turn. I want to read it for you, kind of start at the end this morning. Look at it with me, Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. 
Here's how Habakkuk ends up. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Most powerful word in this passage, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. He repeats himself, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He, he makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. And here's what's fascinating to me as I studied this. Nothing has changed. The nation of Judah is still in chaos. The, the nation uh, of Judah is still experiencing injustice. In fact, they're just gonna get more of that. If you were here last week, we talked about, hey, God's plan to do something. Habakkuk's crying out, God, do something. God's plan to do something is to bring a worse people than the Judeans, to bring the Babylonians, to help discipline the Judeans. And that's still happening. Nothing on the outside has changed. And yet something on the inside of Habakkuk has drastically changed. He's going from, from frustrating, questioning, to trusting and rejoicing. And I don't know about you, but when I, I read that, I, I want to know, like, how do you get there? How do you have that kind of posture in the midst of all that pain? Because typically the way we work, and I think especially as Americans, the way we work is if there's chaos on the outside, we still have that chaos on the inside. If there's pain on the outside, we have a posture of pain and frustration on the, on the inside as well. Our external dictates our internal. And yet Habakkuk seems, seems he has not just trust, he has joy twice. Joy in the midst of this chaos, not after it's over. And so this morning, I just want to ask, how do we have joy in the midst of chaos? How do we trust God so much? That's, that's our question. God, can I trust you? How do we trust God so much that there's a joy even in the midst of chaos all around us? Do you want that? Yeah. I do too. So take notes. <laughs> Hopefully God will help us today. Here's our first point, if you do take notes, is we want to have joy in the midst of chaos. We need to pray for revival. We need to pray for revival. Habakkuk 3, look at 1 and 2 with me. It says this, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So Habakkuk prays for revival. Now, I imagine some of you, you hear uh, the word revival and some of you, like, you get really excited about that. Some of you, it's kind of confusing, right? You're thinking like, Tim, like revival, like a big, sweaty, yelling preacher in a large tent, like revival. Is that, I don't think I've ever heard that word at Phoenix Bible Church. And yet that's literally, I just, this is exegesis, pulling things from the text, right? He prays, God, in the midst of the years, revive it. That word revive, it literally just means to renew, to restore, or to repeat. And he's praying for that. Right, verses one and two, they kick off a prayer in the form of a psalm or a song. That's what that word shigianoth is about. Right, some of you thought, are we just gonna bypass shigianoth? Are we gonna talk about that at all? 
Right, here's, here's a little pastoral pro tip for you. Uh, just say it quick and with confidence, right? But, but here's what scholars think Shigianoth means. Nobody really knows, just to be honest with you. But they think Habakkuk is, is doing this psalm and Shigianoth with some sort of rhythm or beat. It sounds like it'd be fun, like Shigianoth. Get your Shigianoth on, right? And so I, I don't know. We don't have the music, but we do have the lyrics. And the lyrics are pr- powerful. See, Habakkuk goes from questioning to praying and asking for God to, to revive, to revive his, his land, to revive his, his work. He's gonna go on to talk about that work as we continue these verses, but he's asking for something to change. He doesn't understand everything God is currently doing in the present, but he's asking for, for God to do something, a great work in the future based on his, his faithfulness in the past. Let me tell you, that, that seems simple, but that is powerful. Habakkuk is looking at chaos, difficulty, injustice, and he's done the whole, why God, why, why, why? God, I disagree. This doesn't seem like the best plan. But at this point, he just humbles himself and says, God, I know who you are. He calls him Lord. Did you notice it's in all caps? God, you're Yahweh. You're the covenantal, personal God of the Israelites. I know you rescued your people in the Exodus. I know you're you're a God who takes people who are enslaved in pain and you bring them towards freedom. And he said, would you do it again? Would you revive it? Would you repeat that? Would you change the way things are currently? Simple, but it's, it's powerful. Here's why it's, it's even scary for me as I read this. is because you ask God to change things, to shake things up, to bring a revival. But he's not just going to start out there. You know that, right? He, he's going to start in here. That's what we see in the book of Habakkuk. Again, we already said, he ends up in that place. God, yet I will rejoice. I will rejoice. I'll take joy in the God of my salvation. He ends up in that place. Nothing has changed on the outside. But as he prays for a revival, God changes things on the inside. And if you're anything like me, man, I, I say I want change, but ultimately I do not want change. Like just recently, my wife and I, we were talking to some friends and they have an amazing neighborhood. And they all like know all their neighbors and they've lived there for like two years. And we were over there and we were playing uh, football, flag football in the street with all the neighbors. And my, my friend was just being sarcastic with everybody. And there was like kids and adults out there. And he was just all these inside jokes. And I was like, bro, you guys just moved in. How do you have such relational equity with all these neighbors? And he's like, I know, we just, we just jumped in. And honestly, this lady over here, she's kind of a catalyst for that. And we just know all our neighbors and it's, it's amazing. And I was just telling my wife, Jay, I was like, but I, I want that. I want, I want to have a great neighborhood. I want to know all my neighbors and borrow the sugar or whatever, you know, like, and we know a few of our neighbors, but it's not what it could be. And I was telling my wife, like, I, kind of, I want that to change. I want, I want to know our neighbors. So yesterday, um, this couple moved in like just a few months ago and my kids uh, did like a lemonade stand yesterday, but get this, it wasn't lemonade. It was like Gatorade and just some other stuff that they just mixed in. <laughs> they, they didn't even go to the trouble to mix some powder with some water, people. They just, they grabbed different bottles of liquid in our fridge 
And they just made different color iterations and then they sold it for $2. And they got $27. I was like, revival, Jesus, I don't know how you did that. But they went out there and so neighbors were coming over and interacting with our kids and they even went to other people's houses to recruit them. And they went to one of our new neighbors and they came back and they were like, yeah, he didn't have any cash. And my wife was like, man, you know, we should, Tim, this is our opportunity. We should go meet them. And our kids just went over there and we just want to let them know like, hey, hey, that was our kids. You know, just not some random kids mixing liquids together in the neighborhood. Um, and, and she's like, we need to go over there. And it was like, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon. And I was wearing like some basically pajama shorts, like after a nap, you know. And I'm like, ah, not today. <laughs> she's like, no, 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 Tim, remember we said we want to meet all our neighbors and all this change. And I was like, laying on the couch. I was like, yeah, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> and listen, she, she did what a good wife would do. She forced me out of the house and we met our neighbors. Okay. I'm not an idiot, right? I got on some clothes and I went out and met my neighbors, right? But listen, how many of you can relate to that? I say I want change, but I'm thinking like, I want like ethereal change. I want things out there to change. I want our world to change. I want others to change. I want my, I want my neighbors to change. I want you guys to change, but I don't want to change. That's uncomfortable. Habakkuk, he prays for change. And listen, I don't know if he realized God was going to change his own heart, but that's what God did because that's what God does. Listen, you got some injustice in your life, some chaos in your life, and you want to have joy and trust in God in the midst of that, pray for revival and get ready because God's going to start with you. See, I think all of us, no matter what your background is, no matter politically where you land, I think all of us right now would say like in, in 2023, like not everything is okay in our world and our country, right? Can we just agree on one thing today? Yeah, like not everything's okay, right? There's some bad things that are happening in our world. We, ha we have trafficking, we have rapists, we have murderers, we, we have injustice, we have chaos in different ways. We have questions about sexuality and trajectories of that that seem really confusing and maybe even harmful. And anybody who has like oxygen in their lungs right now, you can look at our world and you can see that. My question is, how do we respond to that? I think typically we complain, we post about it, we protest about it. We ask God, why would you let this happen? We get mad at people. What does Habakkuk do? He prays. He, he doesn't just pray like smite all these other people. He prays, God, would you revive your great work? God, I know you're the Lord. You're the covenantal personal God. I know you, you rescued people before. Would you do it again? And he prays. How many times? We look out at the injustice in our land and our first response is to pray and ask God for revival and know that it starts with us, not them. That's what God calls us to do. And that's how you get joy. Listen, you know, the most bitter people, the most angry people are just looking at everybody else in the way they need to change. The most joyful and trustful people I've ever met, they know they need to change first. And they're starting there. 
It's seeing God work from there. May that be Phoenix Bible Church in the midst of some injustice and, and frustration and confusion. May we pray for revival and start with us. Amen? Here's our second point. How do we have joy in the midst of chaos? We need to recapture our awe. Recapture your awe. Look at Habakkuk 3, verse 3 with me. Habakkuk begins to recount a story, remembering past faithfulness in the, in the exodus with God's people. He says, God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise, Selah. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian, Midian did tremble. Uh, you see some places mentioned there. If you look at it closely, you see Taman, Paran. Uh, you see in verse four, um, his brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hand. Uh, you see some imagery really of the Exodus. You see plagues and pestilence. And so most commentators, as we look at this, we think he's mentioning a lot of things that really take us back to the Exodus. In fact, in verse four, it's really interesting. The rays flash from his hand, this, this light, that, that word rays is only other used one, one time in the Bible. It's in the Exodus. When Moses comes down from Mount Sinai and his face is glowing with rays from the light of God. So the best we can put together, it seems like Habakkuk is recounting God's faithfulness, primarily the story of the Israelites and the Exodus and their freedom from slavery, but maybe some other stories in there as well. He would have heard these stories passed down generation to generation. And again, he's asking for these type of stories, for this God who has rescued in the past to revive it, to do that again. But he's remembering, intentionally remembering all of these things God has done. See, sometimes we need to remember God's past faithfulness in our present frustration. Some of us, we're looking around right now and we, we see some injustice. And I know some of you guys are doing that right now in your own lives, much less in our country, in our world. And so often it's easy for us just to wake up, go about our day, go to our job and see the other guy who got the promotion instead of us, even though he's shady. And when we, we remember that, we fixate on that. Man, it's so easy for us to look at our bank account and see it dropping each month because of inflation and see how much we make. And we're like, well, we were making more money, but the taxes keep increasing, the cost of everything. Keep, and we see these things and remember these things all the time without even trying. And so we have to stop just like Habakkuk with some intentionality and remember not the present frustrations, you're gonna remember those, but to take a moment and remember God's past faithfulness. See, what I love about God is he knows we need to remember and, and he knows how often we forget. <laughs> right? That's why you see things in scripture like stones of remembrance. That's why you see Jesus instituting the Lord's supper and communion and saying, every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Because if we don't take time intentionally to remember, we will forget. 
That's why you see so much song in the Bible. Isn't the Bible amazing? So many different types of genres of literature. We have Psalms, the book of Psalms, 150 songs. Right here, we have a song. Why is there so much songs in the Bible? Because that's how we remember. How many of you know the lyrics? How many, tell me, uh, we'll see who the real Christians are in the room. Um, it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. How many know who that is? T Swift, shout it out. Don't be ashamed in church today. Like some of you are like, oh, I don't know what's going on. And that's okay, we love you too, all right? But with a 14 year old daughter, man, I know those lyrics. And I know it's Taylor Swift. And I, and I know like she's got some angsty stuff going. I like, I can feel her heart just by hearing the lyrics. Cause they, man, they just stick with you in your head, right? Shake it off as well, Greta, yeah. How could you forget that one? I mean, music is so memorable. So God writes the Bible and he's so good to give us music to remember. So yeah, I, I hope you don't just remember Taylor Swift songs, okay? See, I, I know one of the songs from the 1990s, like a worship song from the 1990s, Light of the World Who Stepped Down Into Darkness, Open My Eyes, Let Me See. I just, I haven't sang that song in probably 20 years, but it is stuck like glue to my brain. Do you know why? Because when I was in Romania, and I wasn't really walking with God, but a friend asked me to go on a mission trip, and I just went because I thought it would be fun. I was able to lead this guy to Christ named Bogdan, who maybe had just slightly more questions than I did at the time about the Bible and God and Jesus. And every night he would ask me these questions. I was leading a small group and he'd ask me like, hey, how can a, a, the God of the universe, how can we know him personally? And I was like 19, I wasn't walking with God. I was like, Bogdan, great question. I'll be back tomorrow <laughs> after I go ask everybody and read the Bible. And I would do that day after day after day. And by the end of that week, I would just answer every question. And every time I would answer Bogdan's question in Romania, these vast questions about God, I would say, Bogdan, does that make sense? And he would say, yeah, I think it does. And I would say, really? Because I don't know if it makes sense to me. And by the end of that week, God drew Bogdan out from his questions and he trusted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. I mean, I just, I saw God use somebody like me and man, I just changed my life. But you know where it really changed is when we went to church on Sunday, this Romanian church, and they sang a bunch of songs that I didn't understand. But then they sang, sang this song, Light of the World, Who Stepped Down Into Darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. And I remember I just, I got on some knees. I, I, I didn't know what to do with myself. And I just thought, God, that's what you just did. And it wasn't that you just opened Bogdan's eyes. You, you opened my eyes in a new way. And that's when I submitted to a call of ministry in my life. I came back, I changed my degree. I, I went to seminary and I started church planning because I couldn't get over the, the idea, hey, light of the world. Jesus stepped into the darkness and he's opening up eyes and he's using me as he opens up my eyes. He's opening up other, other people's eyes at the very same time. And I have this awe and this, and now when I think about ministry's hard, life is chaotic, Habakkuk is so complex. <laughs> Why did I pick this? I, mean, I, I, I swear that song comes to my mind. 
this is what it's all about. And I remember, I remember God's past faithfulness. I remember how he can open up anybody's eyes. An 18-year-old in Romania, an idiot in Texas. And it, it, how do I, I remember? And some of you, man, you, you need to remember what God has done before behind you so you can see God's faithfulness clearly in the present. And you're gonna have to stop. You're gonna have to sing a song. You're gonna have to take communion like we will in a moment. And remember all of God's blessings that maybe you don't see right now in your windshield, but you see in the rear view mirror and that helps you keep going because you remember. God set it up that way so that you would remember. That's why he even put songs in scripture. So you remember, that's what Habakkuk is doing. As we continue, I'm not gonna read all of eight through 16, but I am gonna reference some of it. Uh, I've hinted at it a little bit. Habakkuk is complex. This passage specifically is complex for a couple reasons. One, there is this tension of wrath and mercy. If I would have written the Bible in this moment as Habakkuk is taking this turn and we've talked about woes and wrath up until this point, I would have completely shifted, turned to mercy alone. Like, and then it would be a cute story. And at the end, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and we could go all go out singing. But that's not what God does. And that's not the vision or a prayer that Habakkuk really is involved in. What he has is a tension of both wrath and mercy earlier. He prayed, God, in your wrath, remember your mercy. And we see that imagery continue. Just look at a couple verses with me. Verse eight, it says, wrath against the rivers. And yet the very next thing he says is chariot of salvation, wrath, mercy. Verses 12 through 13, it says, God, you marched through the earth in fury, wrath. You threshed the nations in anger, wrath. Verse 13, you went out for the salvation of your people, mercy. It's complicated. You see wrath and you see mercy. Habakkuk's taking joy and yet he's seeing not just mercy, but also wrath. Even as you look at commentators, some of them like the eight through 16 part is like some of them would say, oh yeah, that's still all the work previously that God has done. But some of them would say, no, this is like a theophany, a vision of God of what he's going to do in the end times. And both of them, listen, I read them all. Both of them seem reasonable. Some commentators and some of us, we, we kind of read this and we focus on the salvation and okay, this is about the Exodus. And so like, it's about rescue. What a beautiful passage. And yet some commentators are focused on the wrath and it's gonna come in the end times. So man, I just, I just give you an insight into my week. It was a hard week. It was a frustrating wrestling sort of week. Every day I was like sort of changing my points and tweaking them because it was just really hard to assess, God, what are you saying here? And I wanna get this right. Is it wrath? Is it mercy? Is it past? Is it future? So if you've ever read the Bible and felt that way, listen, you're welcome here, okay? Because that happens to your pastor sometimes. If you actually read God's word, it's gonna happen to you too. If you get past the coffee mug verses and the, the, the verses woven into the blanket, right? It's, it's gonna come for you too. And there's gonna be this, this tension. And, and here's what I wanna let you know is there was a part of this week where I was just frustrated in the midst of this tension. But then I, I ended up in a place of not frustration, but of, of awe of all that, hey, maybe it's both. 
In your wrath, remember your mercy. Habakkuk seemed to understand both. Hey, maybe it's some past like the Exodus, but maybe the Exodus is a foreshadowing of the future rescue that will also involve wrath and rescue. And, and maybe it's both. And here's why I landed there. Look at verse 16 with me. Look at where Habakkuk lands. After recounting all of this complex wrath and mercy, past and maybe future, he says this in verse 16. I hear all this and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. His lips are quivering, his legs are trembling, but this is not like a junior high crush, okay? This is different than that. He says, yet, he's trembling, yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Yet, I will quietly wait. God, you're gonna bring justice. I'm trembling, but I'm trusting. It's wrath, but it's mercy. See, many times we're uncomfortable with tension and yet God seems to be entirely comfortable with it. We, we wanna assess, I wanna get the, all the answers. I wanna get the formula down. I wanted to do that for you this week. I want the formula, I want the exact science. I want a side, I don't want nuance because that's how we're all wired, right? We, we pick a side, like theologically, we're like, are you Calvinistic? Are you Arminian? Somebody just got really nervous. You're like, is he gonna go into that right now? How much time do we have left? Or, you know, we, pick, we love picking sides, right? Theologically. Are you a grace guy or are you a works guy? Are you a spirit guy or are you a Bible guy? Last time I checked, the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. But anyway, that's another thing for another day. It seems like God is comfortable with tension. We see it in the cross of Jesus Christ. The peak of the whole, the whole history of the world, the peak of the Bible itself. You see, the just becomes the justifier. You see God's wrath. He takes out all of his wrath, past, present, and future sin. Does God allow sins to go unpunished? Does God sweep things out of the way? No, no, he killed his perfect son, wrath. And yet he killed his perfect son, wrath, so that you and I wouldn't have to die, mercy. See, I think sometimes we miss in scripture, we study or we don't study and hit the eject button because we're like, that's too hard to understand. Or that doesn't even make sense. It's probably not true. Can I just submit to you that we feel like we need to take these sides that we might be missing awe in the midst of that? And that's what Habakkuk is experiencing. Trust in the midst of that tension. And I just got to a point this week where I just, I just thought, God, you're, you're infinite and I'm finite. And I could crack the code for these people and bring it to them and we could all just go home happy. But what I would rather do is, is help you experience awe that makes you wanna go back and read Habakkuk like multiple times and investigate on your own. Because that's what God is trying to do here. And that's where we get our trust. And that's where we get our, our joy is when we stop trying to solve all the problems. I, I'm not saying we don't try, but we, we, we end in a place of awe as we do try. We don't hit the eject button and we don't try to make it a science. We understand that God is a big God. He's a God of wrath and of mercy and we worship him because of it. And that's where we see Habakkuk end up. That's our last point. Make praise your practice. He ends up worshiping. He ends up in awe where I want us to end up today. 
He says, verse 17, let's read it again. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. This is an agricultural society. What he just described is their food and their economy are both devastated. They have nothing. And yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deers. He makes me tread on my high places. He's singing about it with the choir and the stringed instruments, right? He ends in a place of worship. He was in a place of wrestling. Now he's in a place of worship. And here, here's one way I could preach this is like, hey, some of you are wrestling. Man, I pray God ends you up in a place of worshiping. Like instead of wrestling, let's worship. But here's what I would submit to you is the worship doesn't happen instead of the wrestling. The worship happens because of the wrestling. That for two chapters plus, Habakkuk is looking at God, fixated on him, his character and his nature, his person and his work, as he looks on the injustice around him. And he's asking questions and he's doing what we should do with our questions. Go to God, not the world. Go to the spirit of God, not the spirit of chaos in our culture. Go to the people of God, the God of the Bible, the Holy Spirit of God. That's what he does with his questions because God would rather you wrestle with him than walk away with him. And he keeps going back to God and he keeps asking his questions. And at one point he lands in a place of prayer and asking God to revive his work. And he starts to remind himself of all of God's work in the past and, and he's gonna do it in the future. And he ends in a place of awe and worship because of his wrestling, not instead of his wrestling. So I, I know some of you have questions today. They keep wrestling with God. And I promise you, you will worship God. If you put down your phone and the distraction, and every time you don't understand something in the Bible, you just say, well, it's too, it must be for scholars and I, I need to go to seminary. If you, if you stop thinking like that and stop just looking at the, the world out there and start looking in your heart and here, you will worship God because he is that good. You see, what Habakkuk found is what I want us to find as a church. I want you to find in your life is not that you find all the answers, but that you find the one who has all the answers and you embrace him, you wrestle with him and you will end up worshiping him. He's that good. He's that vast. He's that big. Amen, church. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're gonna end in, in song, we're gonna take communion. We're gonna remember, we're gonna fix our eyes upon Jesus and we're gonna worship God, even in the midst of our wrestling. So I'm gonna invite the ushers to come forward as I pray. Uh, we'll lead you to take communion and, and just grab the elements. Don't take them yet, we'll take it all together. But I would encourage you, take this time to remember God's past faithfulness in your life. Take this time to embrace your awe of God how big he really is and to worship even in your wrestling. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, thanks for this morning. Thank you for this, this book of Habakkuk. God, it's just so rich and so deep. God, I pray as we just really just scratch the surface, we would go back to it and we'd read it on our own and we'd read more of your word and be in awe of you and remember you. 
and worship you, even if we're wrestling with you. And God, you can only do that. We can't. And so I just pray that you would. I pray that there would be some people here this morning that would say, even though, even though, just like Habakkuk said, even though this isn't happening, even though this isn't happening like I would want it to happen, yet I will rejoice in you. God, may that be the anthem of of our church today and, and always as we live in a broken world with a perfect Christ. God, we can only do that by your help. So we pray for it now. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.